Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, draw near to us this day and make Yourself known. Open our hearts to know You, to receive Your Word, to receive Jesus Himself, that we might know that You are with us, that we might know that You are at work, that we might more and more look forward to that coming of Christ, that return of Christ, that as He comes to us continually through Word and Sacrament, that we might know and be readied for His final return when He makes all things new for our sake. And we ask this all through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So is it the beginning of the end? Or the end of the beginning? It's a question I always come to on this very first Sunday of Advent, and it's a hard one to answer. It's hard to figure out exactly what is happening this first Sunday. After all, it's a day that bridges the old and the new. We are at the beginning of something new, are we not? The beginning of the church year. The first Sunday of Advent is the new year. It is the January 1st of the church. And yet, in all of its newness, what do we hear on this Sunday in our gospel lesson? We hear about a passage that is about Christ coming in judgment. About His return and His gathering up His elect. Which is very close to what we heard about last week as we heard in that gospel lesson last week of Christ dying on the cross, but it being focused on Him becoming King. Him being lifted up to be the ruler of all of creation. And so here we hear Him extending that rule, Him exercising that rule by returning. So Christ the King was focused on the coming of Christ as a king, on Him becoming the king and being lifted up as king. And yet here this day we continue that thread of Christ as king, His coming again in power and glory. What does all of that mean when put together? It means that there's something of truth on both sides of that statement. It's the beginning of the end, and yet it is the end of the beginning. Both of those things are true. For it is the beginning of the end as we hear of Christ coming again. That we are in the end times right now. And I'm not trying to sound like some dispensationalist, but the end times have been upon us since Christ's death and resurrection and ascension. That we have entered into that time of the end. Those last days of when everything is being changed. For the Word of God is going out to the ends of the earth like we heard about in Isaiah. And the people are being drawn to the mountain of the Lord. The people are being drawn up and caught up to hear and they want to come. As soon as they hear of the law of the Word of God of the Gospel, they come and they receive and they are made one with the people of God. But it's also the end of the beginning for that first half of human history, of biblical history, is coming to an end with the death and resurrection of Christ. The old covenant was wrapped up in Christ Himself and brought to fulfillment by that very same Jesus Christ. As He is established as King over all things through His death and resurrection, that old covenant is finished. It is fulfilled. It is accomplished in Him. And by Him, a new covenant is established in His blood. That new covenant of life. That new covenant of God's presence being amongst His people without a physical temple building. 
but by the pouring out of His Holy Spirit to unite us to the one true temple who is Jesus Christ Himself, to unite us to that one God-man who stands between us and the Father, who goes to the Father on our behalf, who prays for us, who intercedes for us, and who gives us strength to be sustained in this world of struggle, in this world of sin. And so the old and the new are happening simultaneously. They are overlapping in our lives right now as that old covenant is done away with and the new is established in Christ and carries forward into this day and age. And so we are caught in between these two moments here on this first Sunday because of who we are, because we belong to God, because we belong to Christ. We're caught in both because that is the way of God. That is how He works. God ends something in and through Jesus Christ. But yet He is beginning something in and through that very same Jesus Christ. And here we are in the middle of this great cataclysmic event. But where does that leave us? It leaves us with a need to cling to hope. Not an empty hope, one that thinks, I hope this unknown thing is going to work out all right for me and for those I care about. But it is a hope that is grounded in the very promises of God Himself, a hope that knows that God will fulfill those promises, a hope that is assured by the past actions of God, by those works that He has done in Jesus Christ before us, a hope that is based on the promises that are given to us through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, that is grounded in God's acts in history and then grounded in our lives. Now, secondarily, we have an assured hope because we have known the work of God in us. As He has changed us, as He's renewed our hearts and our minds day in and day out, such that that hope can be assured that God will continue working, that He will accomplish the coming of Christ is grounded in promises of a great and glorious King who has armies that far surpass our wildest imaginations, that will overcome the sin and the evil in this world, who will overwhelm that enemy because He has already dealt the death blow to death itself. By Christ dying and rising, death is undone for us. And He will bring an end to all conflict that we might enter into a true and new paradise. And so our hope is for a King. A King who will fix all things in His own way. For we trust that King to do what is right by who He is in Himself. So we hope for a King that will fix all things. Who will renew all things. Who will make all things right in the end. And so in all of this talk of the King, we must reflect on what we heard in the gospel today, this coming of the Son of Man. As we hope for this King, let us set our eyes properly on what we're hearing today so that we will then know how to live in this world now. For what is Jesus talking about in this passage? For in the previous words, He is talking about the desolation to come, the tribulation and he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. For many, they hear that passage and they immediately jump forward 
only to the second coming of Christ, to Him returning to earth. To Him returning, and sometimes secretly, because at the end of this passage it says that He'll sweep up His elect. And they think of that invisible rapture, that hidden rapture that they have imported into Scripture, this idea that Jesus will return halfway and sweep up His people and then leave and not actually come back yet and leave this world desolate. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What He is talking about is the tribulation of the war that is coming upon Judah. For after Christ's death and resurrection and His ascension, there was a time period where God was calling out to His very people, saying, here is the Messiah. Here is the one I have chosen for you who has dealt with your sins, who has become the ultimate sacrifice for you, that you might come to Me. And the Jews refused to hear. Jerusalem refused the truth of the Gospel. For nearly 40 years, Jerusalem refused to hear what God had accomplished in Christ. As His apostles told them the Gospel, preached to them, confessed to them the truth and the reality of what was happening. And the people began rebelling more and more against the established ways of God that He had established in Christ. And in that rebellion against what God had done in Christ, they came to rebel against those who ruled over them, the Romans, and create wars and to fight against Rome, creating a massive war there in the land of Judah, which ultimately culminated in the destruction of the temple, the burning of the entire city and the tearing down of the temple itself, God's final judgment against His people, saying the temple is no more, the temple is not needed, for in Christ is the true temple. You do not need this temple. And so I am going to raise it from the earth. I am going to wipe it out and destroy it through the Romans. Using your rebellion against them to accomplish this needed act to wipe out this temple. And judgment comes upon you for rejecting my Messiah, the Messiah I have given for you. And so Jesus here speaks of tribulation and the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling from heaven. Well, as we heard in the death of Christ last week, the sun was darkened. The moon did not give its light. For that was a cataclysmic, earth-shattering event, cosmologically shaking the very foundations of all of reality. For there, sin was dealt with. But yet there is more that is happening. For that language, the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the heavens being shaken, the stars falling from the sky, it's all language from the Old Testament, what we like to call apocalyptic language, language that goes beyond reality, that goes beyond our cosmos and describing events that are happening within our cosmos. Just a handful of passages from the Old Testament that use this very language. In Isaiah 13.10, it speaks of the lack of light from the heavenly constellations. It speaks of the darkness of the moon and the darkness of the sun. And there in that passage, it is speaking specifically about the destruction of Babylon. For all of Babylon's evil was going to be visited upon Babylon. The heavens trembled, the earth was shaken out of its place with the destruction of Babylon itself. The cosmos didn't end in that moment, but yet... 
Through the prophet Isaiah, God used this apocalyptic language. He used this earth-shattering, earth-shaking kind of language to describe the destruction of Babylon by the Medes coming in. Isaiah 13.10 specifically mentions these things. And then as you get to verse 13, it says, And the Medes will come in and destroy Babylon. And that is what this is all about. And then again, Isaiah 34 uses this very language of the host of heaven rotting away, the skies rolling up. Language very similar to this of the sun being darkened and the moon not giving light. And it's about God's judgment against the people of Edom for their mistreatment of God's covenant people. Again, language that sounds like the world and the cosmos is just being destroyed. But it's only about one people being wiped out, being judged by God. Though the language is cataclysmic, it is about a single people being judged by God Himself. And one last one, Ezekiel 34.7, says the heavens would be darkened, the sun will be covered with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. The bright lights of heavens will be made dark. Again, very apocalyptic, cosmological ending language. But it's about the Pharaoh in Egypt being killed. It's about Egypt being crushed for her wickedness. Throughout the Old Testament, this kind of language is being used to describe God's acts in history of destroying wicked kingdoms, wicked nations, wicked cities, and wicked peoples. Because these people are powerful on this earth. Especially when you think of Pharaoh and Babylon. Two major world powers during those ancient days. And them being destroyed is like everything falling apart in the world for they rule over all things on this earth. They had their spheres of influence and with them being destroyed it is like everything falling apart. Imagine if America was suddenly just wiped out. Our economy crashes. Our government is dismantled. The wild west that this world would become. The wild west that our nation, this land would become. It would be like everything was destroyed. For all that we know would go away and we would have to begin rebuilding and looking towards something new to be done. And likewise, Jesus' language here in Matthew 24 is about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. It uses that very language, and I would say Jesus is even drawing upon those apocalyptic passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel to describe the judgment and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. For He will go on to say, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Those who are hearing Him are to begin to see these events take place. That judgment is coming for Israel. Judgment is coming upon Jerusalem because she has rejected the coming of the Messiah. But we can understand why we see in this, this futuristic judgment. For every judgment that God describes becomes a pattern of future judgment. It reminds us and warns us of the reality of sin in this world and that God will come and judge it. And so as we hear of God judging Jerusalem, we must remember that God will come and judge all sin in this world. He will judge the rebellious against Him. He will judge those who have turned against Him and fight against Him, who resist Him, who refuse His forgiveness, who refuse His compassion, who refuse His Messiah. And so this passage is indirectly about 
that second coming of Jesus. Though it is primarily about His coming in judgment, that is, God came in judgment in the Old Testament, but never physically appeared on earth in those judgments. Jesus Himself did not physically appear over Jerusalem as it was being judged. But that kind of judgment was a type of the coming of the Messiah, a type of the coming of God Himself. So we understand that Jesus understands Himself to be God. For in the Old Testament, it is always Yahweh Himself who stands in judgment. And here, Jesus says He is the one who stands in judgment. He is the one who comes on the clouds with power and great glory, who sends out His angels to gather the elect. And so every description of a judgment of nations in the Old Testament here in this passage is a reminder that there is a judgment coming through Christ. There is a future coming for God has promised that Christ will return to this earth. That He will return and make all things new. For that is what is going on to be spoken of in verses 36-44 through 44, that no one knowing the day or the hour. Again, it's a double sense here. No one knows exactly when that judgment of Jerusalem is coming. So be ready. But likewise, no one knows exactly when that moment of judgment of the whole world is coming. So remain ready. For like in the days of Noah, they were just living life, all the people of the earth. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until that day that Noah entered the ark. And all of those people were swept away. They were wiped off the face of the earth. They were removed. They were taken away from the earth. So that when that flood went away, when that flood and all that water receded and was reabsorbed into the earth, only Noah and his family were left on the face of the earth to replenish the earth, to refill the earth. And so in that passage where Jesus speaks of the flood coming and sweeping the people away and then goes on to say two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. The one who is left is not the wicked one, it is the righteous one. For who was taken away in the flood? The unrighteous were taken away in the flood and the righteous remained steady and sturdy in the ark, remaining there in God's covenant care, remaining in His ark of salvation. And so to two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. It is a picture of the unrighteous being swept away from the earth. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. The one taken is the unrighteous woman at the mill. So stay awake. Stay awake. Stay aware of what is happening. Stay aware of the work of God in your life. Turn to God. Turn to Christ always. Because you do not know on what day or hour the Lord is coming. The Lord will return. And that is what we are looking forward to. For He came in clouds and judgment over the people of Israel and Jerusalem. And He will come in judgment over the peoples of this earth. And so we are called to stay awake. And in our staying awake, we receive Christ anew. We receive that spiritual coming of Him to us continually. That He comes previously, He comes in the future, but He comes presently to us as well. And that is how we are able to stay awake is His continual coming to us. That He draws near to renew our hearts, to renew our minds, for we are united to Him 
the true temple. For that is why the old temple had to be destroyed, for He was the true temple. He was the place where God truly dwelt now. And in our union with Him, we become the dwelling places of Christ. We become the dwelling place of God Himself here on earth, physically. And we are united together with one another to be built up into a living temple. A temple that fully replaces that old temple. For in our midst, the very Spirit of God Himself dwells. And if that Spirit is dwelling amongst us, then Christ Himself is amongst us. And thus Christ has come to us. He has come to give us new life. He has come to give us salvation, redemption, renewal from our sins. And thus we must be ready. Thus we must draw near to this very Christ. As He comes to us to judge our sins, yes. But in our reception of that judgment of our sins as being utterly sinful, we can cry out, have mercy on me, O God. And His mercy will come upon us to renew us. And as His mercy renews us, we begin more and more to put on that armor of light that we heard about in our prayer today, as well as in our lesson from the book of Romans. We're called to put on that armor of light continually by looking to Christ, by receiving His grace. For as we receive His grace and His mercy, we are putting ourselves in Christ. And if we are put in Christ and we are bearing the armor of light, for He is our armor. He is our light. And He is our strength. And He will turn us away from sin. He will turn us away from drunkenness and orgies and sexual immorality and sensuality. He will turn us from quarreling and jealousy and work in us the fulfilling of the law of love. That we might love one another. That we might bear one another's burdens. That we might bear with one another. For love does no wrong. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And that is how we respond to the reality of Christ coming in judgment against sin in this world. Is that we look to Christ. We put on Christ Himself. For Paul says, all who are baptized have put on Christ. And by putting on Christ, by remembering our baptisms, that place where we are objectively united to Christ, where Christ comes to be with us as we remember that baptism, we remember that we are but sinners in and of ourselves. That we need renewal. That we need compassion. That we need transformation from all that we once were. And so we look to Christ and receive His armor of light upon us that we would be steeled against the sin within us. That we would be steeled against the sin outside of us. That we would resist that we would resist the temptations of the devil now. That we would resist the temptations of the flesh by dwelling in Christ. By wearing Christ Himself upon us. And letting Him transform us more and more. Receiving His transformation. And so as we reflect in these coming days upon that future coming of Christ as King over all things. As we reflect on that past coming of Christ as King in His judgment of Jerusalem. Let us receive His coming today that we would be prepared for that future coming. Let us receive His coming to give us His armor, to give us Himself, to give us the light of salvation that we would be changed and transformed. That we would be prepared for that future coming of which we do not know is happening. That we do not know when it will come. 
but to continually draw ourselves back into preparation for that return, to be doing the work that Christ has given us to do by confessing our sins and living the life He has placed us in. So may we be renewed by receiving this Christ who comes today to us. That as He comes, we would be prepared for that future coming and receive it joyfully. May we turn to our Christ always and know Him deeply and know that He is coming again as He comes this day to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.